Okay, Ray and uh, Okay, can you guys just uh, say uh, <laughs> your names or something? <laughs> just to do a Okay, and then Ray say anything you want. Perfect. Perfect. Okay.
unmuted unmuted okay and we're live thank you guys so much for bearing with us had slight technical difficulties ray pete georgie dinkov our third episode thank you guys so much for joining me thank you so much ray you know these episodes are really special so sincerely appreciate you uh joining us how are you <laughs> okay, so we were just chatting about, uh, you were talking about global warming or, or so-called climate change and things. Uh, that might be kind of an interesting place to start and, and talking about, I don't know, the intersection between coronavirus, uh, uh, the elite, global climate, and, and, and like the, the quotes of like the Club of Rome talking about how we need to find a common enemy to un- unite uh, unite. Uh, humanity and that the real enemy was man itself. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. China is just a, a, a convenient uh, propaganda uh, uh, object uh, to, to justify. Uh, for example, they say they'll be testing new atomic bombs, more more usable atomic bombs uh, within a few months, uh, but that's been the the very long-term uh, plan of the Pentagon, uh, justifying uh, the uh, uh, invention of planetary warming through carbon dioxide, uh, have to change the economy away from carbon energy to uh, nuclear energy uh, so they can have a constant supply of nuclear fuel to make bombs uh, as uh, simply uh, a a way to focus the attention of the world as long as they have uh, nuclear bombs that are more and more usable. Uh, They uh, experience uh, the the sense of power that's recognized by everyone. Uh, China is just uh, the, the momentary focus uh, of why they need the bombs, but uh, after uh, China is no longer a threat or, or rules the world, uh, they'll still uh, have to uh, hang on to their their nuclear bombs just for their uh, police power, even if it's only within the, this continent. They'll still have their their nuclear deterrent. So do you see this ending in like a real terrible way, like a, a war between the U.S. and China or something like that? Um, I don't know. Uh, Russia and China are now uh, getting close militarily as well as economically. So basically the, the U.S. has lost on that basis. Uh, they wouldn't have a chance in a, a nuclear war Putin told them that uh, Russia won't allow another war to be fought on their territory. They've had uh, uh, three great wars that ruined the country each time. Uh, He said it won't happen again, so they uh, have demonstrated their weapons that can uh, at any invasion, they can eliminate the uh, source of the invasion, either uh, topically or systemically. So so some people, like in the conspiracy sector, think there's um, 
I, like uniformity among these these big empires. But like, how, how much are they trying to do the same thing? But but you're saying they're they're radically opposed to each other. But like, for example, the things that China has done are really similar to what the U.S. is is doing right now in terms of like controlling the citizenry. But but you're saying. Are they just in a race to how fast they can get more control over the population? I'm, I'm, uh, the U.S. isn't very sympathetic uh, with their concept. Uh, uh, China uh, is uh, very focused on public health and education, and uh, the U.S. is always behind uh, on uh, public consciousness and education supported by good health. Uh, they're doing things that have massively ruined uh, the public's health, uh, which drags down uh, the way they're performing intellectually and productively. And, and so uh, they see that China continuing as things are with a more or less even playing field. China is obviously imminently winning the game. Uh, so they're uh, trying to uh, change the rules fast enough that they can, uh, that they think, get ahead, according to Eric Schmidt's uh, description of the situation, uh, a very detailed uh, discussion of how artificial intelligence uh, is to be used uh, to um, uh, preempt uh, China's Digitalization of the economy of the world. So, wouldn't that isn't that a a bit of a? um, It's not a. I mean, so why would the United States be stupidly destroying its own population, considering that they need that population to be as productive and as healthy as possible, even though you know it may be done without good intentions, you know, just to make sure that the slaves are healthy, so to speak. But it seems like that's not being done. It's it's like it's the opposite. The population is being absolutely decimated educationally and nutritionally and health-wise. How would, how does that help the empire? Or is the empire basically saying, oh, we don't care about the population. Our approach is we're just going to neutralize any competitive threat that comes through. Uh, uh, yeah, that thing of, of um, automation and uh, artificial intelligence has been such a deep part uh, of them since the 1930s, uh, that, that, that since then uh, they have uh, considered uh, public education uh, as a drag on the system. Uh, it's just a waste uh, of resources. Uh, yeah, uh, people were talking about it uh, all through the 40s, uh, and uh, uh, it, it was in uh, just about 50, a little over 50 years ago that uh, it, it became a very open public policy that they were set on uh, peonizing uh, the whole United States, uh, uh, taking policy choices that would uh, reduce income growth uh, for nearly everyone in the country while concentrating it. Uh, Reaganism uh, was uh, simply uh, one, one stage of this process in pianization. 
So here's another question. I mean, if with all this military power, all these nuclear weapons, all this technology, if if the if the empire really wanted to like outcompete everybody else, I mean, why can't they just colonize the moon or Mars <laughs> or like there's like this endless infinite universe out there and all the all these resources and energy and equipment could have gone towards making the empire like a a galactic force or or at least like a solar system force instead the the efforts of folks here on attacking other people who are like raising their head um, uh, yeah the, the the thought of uh, having a a a, universe, a world of peons is such an emotional part of it uh, the the ruling class hates the idea of competition from uh, ordinary people uh, and uh, so choices uh, way way back were uh, meant to 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 degrade uh, as many people as possible uh, by by lowering the quality of schooling at at all levels and nutrition uh, having diets uh, uh, scaled e- economically they they started that in, in the 30s uh, uh, and in los angeles I, I saw doctors are are trained to do that uh, 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 grains uh, pasta and beans as the economy diet uh, and then uh, uh, seafood and fruit and, and dairy foods for the, uh, the the privileged diet. So would it be fair to say that a psychopath basically is always seeking out conflict with other people, even though that psychopath has the opportunity to, let's say, colonize the solar system? They're saying, nope, there's no people there. There's nobody to enslave. So we're going to focus our efforts here on Earth because there's other people we can torment and peonize. And we're choosing that that way because there's nothing out in the solar system. Um, uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, Nelson Rockefeller and uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt had agreed the two party leaders uh, on uh, the post-war uh, world. Uh, they were to uh, develop uh, first Latin America uh, as. Uh, part of our economic system, uh, build them up as a consumer uh, economy, uh, and then uh, Africa and Asia would would come at later stages. Uh, but uh, uh, sort of a Marshall uh, plan for the world was the idea to get the whole world up to speed so that uh, capitalism could continue as a a, a growing productive system, uh, but uh, the faction that took over with Truman, uh, the Dulles faction, uh, uh, they were the uh, elite uh, haters of, of the public, uh, and uh, uh, South Americans were, were less than the public. Have you have you heard the rumor that FDR was murdered? I think actually you mentioned this once in your interviews, right? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, the, the Roosevelt family uh, was convinced of it. Uh, Stalin was convinced of it. Any anyone who knew what the Dulleses, uh, Alan Dulles, what he had been doing uh, during the war uh, was treason. Uh, and uh, uh, 
it came out, uh, Stalin's spies told Roosevelt what Dulles had been doing, uh, working for the, for the, the Nazi Nazis. army. Uh, and uh, Roosevelt said, oh, that isn't possible. That would be treason. And before uh, it took a couple of weeks for the the facts to come through his system, because uh, it was held up by the the, the German Dulles intelligence apparatus. Uh, it took a long time to uh, ever reach anywhere in the United States. But meanwhile, uh, Roosevelt had uh, died. <laughs> Ray, Ray, do you think like the different power elite factions, do you think they're on the same page about um, installing like killer austerity in every way imaginable? Or do you think they what like, for example, Webster Tarpley in his book, uh, the Obama, the unauthorized biography says uh, Soros is also associated with a series of projects designed to assault traditional moral values, such as championing of legalized narcotics to be made freely available inevitably to young people as well. And, and you mentioned the, the food system and, and just the culture in general. Uh, do you think they're all generally on the same page about that? Um, uh, yeah, the, the CIA financing itself by selling drugs in in the big cities in the U.S. Uh, uh, that has been documented over and over uh, that uh, they were profiting two ways, uh, by uh, destroying uh, poor people in the U.S. Uh, and uh, financing their illegal operations w with drug money. What was the name of the uh, journalist that wrote about the uh, crack epidemic being started by the CIA and he was found with two bullet holes in his head and three independent inquiries ruled that it was suicide? Web something? I, 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 yeah, web. Yeah, uh, sort of hard to... Uh, shoot yourself twice in the head. Yeah. Uh, did you hear about? Did you hear about the death of China's ambassador to Israel? No. Oh no! When, uh, when did that happen? Uh, 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 a couple of weeks ago. Of uh, uh, China has been making big deals in technology uh, with Israel, uh, and uh, uh, Pompeo visited. Uh, Netanyahu uh, trying to get him to uh, stop the deals uh, with China, uh, but then uh, suddenly uh, the China's ambassador, who had been the, the agent for uh, building infrastructure and artificial intelligence uh, businesses, uh, he uh, died in sleep at the age of 57, uh, just about a month after taking the office. It reminds me of the uh, Iranian nuclear scientists who basically started mysteriously dying all over the world uh, while giving talks. It happened like maybe like close to 10 years ago. And then they found out it was Mossad agents using uh, fake British passports that were present at the same conferences. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, this, this assassination uh, really implies that the U.S. is inside the Mossad because. Uh, it was absolutely against Israel's interests. That's actually a pretty interesting point. So it's okay. That's interesting. Okay, so I've heard the opposite that uh, Mossad has infiltrated the CIA, but you're saying it's the other way around. 
probably both. <laughs> They're the same agency. It's just different, uh, the different branches across the world, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you mean? Like, there was somebody who said that you've never criticized Israel before. What What is your, and I know that's not true, but what, what is your general take on that situation? That I've never criticized Israel? <laughs> I, it was I an internet comment, so don't take it with too much weight. <laughs> oh, I, I, no, I think it was in 1976, uh, all of my uh, Jewish friends, it seemed like most of my friends that from uh, all through late 50s and 60s seemed to be Jews. But suddenly, uh, the attitude of, of uh, they were starting to confound Zionism with Jewishness. And uh, uh, suddenly, uh, uh, if you criticized uh, Zionism, which I was doing constantly, uh, uh, they were calling you anti-Semitic. Uh, and uh, from the mid-70s, uh, my criticism of Zionism has been uh, uh, very steady. So it turns out the internet commenter was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, it, so I have a question on, on, on related to that. I mean, as I'm sure Ray, you've noticed that if you try to seek out the truth and you hold opinions that are not very popular, um, you're probably going to be a little bit more alone than most other people. Would you, would you say that that's the case? Just, just because you'll be so, out there for many people and even if they don't disagree with you they will think like that's just too crazy for me to even consider so i'm not going to associate with a person uh, oh oh yeah uh, look at um, gilbert ling and his students <laughs> as long as his graduate students supported the work they were doing they they couldn't get jobs they were non-existent. And so uh, those who wanted to continue in biology had to uh, re renounce him, say, say that uh, they just weren't doing that anymore. So do you, in your social life, do you sometimes conceal your opinions because you don't want to, I don't know, drive away your friends? Or do you pretty much say what you, what you mean? And if, if they leave, then so be it. Uh, I've never been a, a big party attender, but uh, I n never went to a party where I didn't probably offend uh, most of the people there by talking about what I was interested in. Well, Ray, sometimes I feel like we've we've had a conversation and I've said something totally wrong, but you 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 didn't necessarily like immediately inject that I was wrong, and then I would find out like three months or four months later that I, in fact, was really wrong. But I I, I, I took that as maybe, and, and you do do this maybe, and again, my perception of maybe to all people, but Maslow has that quote where he says that, um, I, this is semi not related, but like when he talks about letting somebody go through their pain and not um, telling them not to feel that way. So maybe that's a sign of respect that you don't just immediately correct somebody if, if they don't think exactly like you do. Oh yeah, I, I for a long time have thought that that's a, a necessary thing everywhere, especially in on any important uh, political issue. If you're in a movement, 
the um, Occupy Wall Street uh, failed to do that. Uh, they insisted that everyone had to have the same opinion, and they just stopped existing. Uh, if you have some things in common that you agree on, uh, you have to respect uh, the person for for having all of those right ideas and forget about their their mistakes or uh, omissions. Before we launch off in a different direction, can you say what Zionism is and maybe why you disagree with it? Just because that might be a new concept to some people listening to this. Um, uh, do you know about the uh, protocols of the elders mm-hmm. of Zion? Mm-hmm. Uh, those principles are being freshly stated over and over again. Uh, uh, it was an idea uh, that was current at the end of the last of the 19th century, and uh, uh, after uh, Israel was founded, uh, leading uh, rabbis uh, there have repeatedly uh, restated exactly what they have in mind. Uh, uh, Definitely not staying within the borders uh, uh, the UN, British Empire, and United States gave them. And then then in the past few episodes and some of the other interviews you've done, you've been uh, pro-Trump in this situation, and I know things are very complex, but one of the main things... Uh, that some people say against Trump is that he's in the pocket of Israel. And so how do you unpack that situation? Um, uh, The the, uh, important thing is that uh, uh, from Truman down through uh, Clinton, Bush Jr., uh, uh, Obama, and uh, Hillary Clinton, the main thrust of U.S. intention uh, was uh, destruction of Russia uh, first uh, and then China second. Uh, And uh, Trump uh, was an interruption uh, of that uh, long, uh, almost 70-year pattern. Good stuff. Go, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, so maybe it's more accurate to, instead of Zionism, to call it Bankunism. I mean, it's, at this point, I think it's, it's, it includes a very diverse set of people that uh, maybe the majority of them are associated with the Zionist movement. But I think at this point, most of the mega rich people are either inadvertently or sometimes even, you know, forced to be part of this because, you know, they, their interests are aligned with, with the interests of the financial powers of the world. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he definitely is not against the ruling class, uh, just uh, different uh, factions and processes uh, w- within it. But uh, I think the uh, the avoidance uh, of nuclear uh, annihilation, uh, at least for uh, eight years, <laughs> has been a great achievement. So, there, so, so there's a little bit of nuance here of, of what power elite that uh, staves off total destruction. 
yeah, the semi-conscious power elite that doesn't want the world to get incinerated. So, and do you see, I, I know, I'm sure this is very complex, but like the Rockefellers and their eugenics kind of uh, austerity, killer austerity plan, is that different from the Rothschilds? Third Temple Zionism plan, or do they have compatibilities and compatibilities? Uh, yeah, I think they're compatible. Mm. But but are, are, were the Rockefellers necessarily interested in Israel the way the Rothschilds were? Are? Um, uh, no, not that I know of. Um, the the um, either way, uh, uh, almost everyone ends up as. Uh, disposable property. At, at what point do you think the old school, wide Anglo-Saxon Protestant sort of established powers merged with the Zionist powers to create this global elite? Because uh, I think you said in some of your interviews that it used to be those, you know, old white rich people. And then I guess sometime around the early 20th century started getting shifted heavily towards Zionism. But at this point they seem merged, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah. Uh, we can move on after this, but Rupert Murdoch uh, being an agent of the Rothschilds and buying up all the media, do you think that was a big part of, um, uh, I don't know, obviously that was key in c controlling the opinions and, and thoughts of a lot of people, that media takeover? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, the, the um, uh, New York Times, too, uh, is in harmony with Murdoch's. This is, is pretty related, but I think this was a, a message to Jawhead. Uh, you said, the reason I talk more about biology than pot politics is that various radical movements generally have inflexibilities that keep them apart. Um, and so that made me think of our current situation, like coronavirus is dying down, and then immediately we have this uh, um, death in Minnesota, and, and that is propagated all over the media. What When this kind of thing happens, not to dissect this specific event, but like when this kind of thing happens, what is your thought process like? What is it a conditioning type thing to move move us in a certain direction? Uh, uh, Actions, uh, uh, personal, uh, stupid uh, murders uh, will, will be taken advantage of uh, to uh, uh, excite uh, r racial. Uh, uh, Hostility, uh, but uh, I, I think there there are enough accidental uh, racist e events happening that uh, it's just a matter of how the media present them and and uh, who is there to uh, either try to uh, point out what should be done uh, that that you should immediately start fixing police forces uh, uh, rather rather than uh, uh, making it a, a matter of racial identity uh, primarily and and then postponing uh, actual changes I have a question about that I mean we said a few times that the rich have always used these these racial tensions as an instrument to like keep the public's attention away from the really pressing issues and sort of forcing the poor to fight over crumbs while they're stealing everything. 
but don't you think it's a little bit dangerous for them to be playing that game? I mean, I mean, one of one of these days, one of one of those racial incidents can lead to a revolution, and in a, in a revolution, everything gets destroyed, including the masters that are thinking they're in control. Like, why would somebody continuously use that dangerous thing, that dangerous fire that they that they set up in the living room while they're sitting in the bedroom thinking they're safe, but at some point might consume the entire house? Uh, well, uh, they have atom bombs backing them up. Ah, <laughs> uh, you see. <laughs> Speaking uh, of... They've, all, uh, yeah. they've used Israel to train the police in military tactics uh, so that they have all of the non-nuclear military weapons that they can use. And if that uh, fails to hold down uh, a revolution and a whole part of a state uh, decides to secede and become democratic, uh, then they have the uh, tactical nuclear weapons that can be used uh, for crowd control. Well, we've talked about this before. That's called the, the Samson, Georgie, the Samsonite plan or something? Is it? Yeah, the, the, the Samson plan was, is the Israel's plan, basically. If they, at some point Israel feels like they're starting to get overwhelmed by their enemies— they're just they're just gonna launch their 400 plus I don't know how many nuclear warheads. I think they even have a count that U.S. Department of Defense Secretary I think it was Rumsfeld who actually gave it away. Let's say about 400 nuclear warheads. Apparently they're all pointed to major uh, capitals and cities and economic centers of the world that the, these rockets can reach. And basically Israel has said, "You will defend us." I mean, by you meaning the world community. If Israel is about to to disappear from the map, we will make sure that the world will disappear as well by nuking everything. Um, right. <laughs> uh, the, um, uh, uh, that was uh, in the background for for most of the Cold War. Uh, uh, they they had their uh, doomsday weapon uh, or doomsday system. Uh, sometimes it was uh, a, a nuclear bomb uh, surrounded by uh, tons and tons of plutonium uh, uh, to create a, a radiation cloud that would end the world, uh, but uh, various versions. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, uh, pe people uh, like uh, 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 the... Uh, uh, can can think of his name the the, the Yale guy who was the the famous conservative oh Buck, Buckley had a, uh, Buckley yeah uh, he was making the explicit uh, argument uh, that people should uh, prefer uh, to die rather than uh, uh, let let uh, the Soviet Union uh, uh, govern the world or even uh, survive. Uh, he said that uh, God will sort us out <laughs> if, we, if we're all dead. Uh, we win anyway, so better red than dead. <laughs> and uh, that, that was put into the concrete doomsday system. And, and then I think I just want to give an example to the people who, because I've, I've talked to people about potentially the U.S. government using, you know, Really, any kind of weapon that 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 they deem necessary to to quell dissent, 
And I've been told, I mean, most of my friends are saying, you're insane. The U.S. government will never do that. But apparently they already did. Uh, there was a, an incident in the 19, I think in the mid-1980s in Philadelphia where the police bombed an entire block um, where, uh, because there was one house that was housing this black militant group uh, called MOVE. Uh, yeah, yeah it dropped a helicopter, dropped bombs uh, on the roof and burned the building up and killed everyone. And yeah. the same idea as in Waco. Uh, they used a, a tank with flamethrowers and uh, uh, the sharpshooters were killing people trying to escape. So they intentionally burned uh, the, the dissident Christians, uh, even though they were, I think, mostly white. Uh, they were totally uh, descending uh, and so they were fit to be murdered in mass. And, and Ray, I think on the last, maybe the last episode, you talked about how, was it the FBI or the CIA that has infiltrated like every fringe movement? And of course, a, like a historical example of that is COINTELPRO, um, expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize. And that was like American Indian groups, Black Panther groups, and anti-Vietnam war groups. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, e- even the uh, more, more moderate groups are, are controlled. Uh, the, the whole new left uh, was a creation uh, of the intelligence uh, organizations. Uh, Good. Uh, the Congre- Congress uh, for Cultural Freedom uh, was uh, strictly CIA. Uh, but um, they they created uh, the the whole uh, idea of a new left organization uh, using uh, supposedly uh, progressive leftists and uh, the, the um, you, you know the the Trotsky movement uh, after uh, Trotsky. Uh, failed to take over uh, Russia, uh, he started working uh, with the Nazis and the FBI uh, and uh, uh, U.S. intelligence organizations uh, to uh, create a a takeover movement in Russia from from within, uh, which is standard policy that they undoubtedly have it in in China and Russia now, uh, doing everything they, they can. What Georgia, I, I'd, I'd want to harp on as much as possible of people not believing how bad their their government intelligence agencies could possibly be. You know, like Ray, we talked about Project Northwoods, which was um, kind of the mock um, was it the mock bombing of a plane or or or. or Sending a plane into oh my god I'm screwing this up plane, sending a plane into Cuba with like fake people on it, uh, but also the CIA strategy of tension during Operation Gladio, and one of the operatives says uh, you were supposed to attack civilians, women, children, innocent people outside the political arena for one simple reason to force Italian public to turn to the state uh, to ask for greater security, and so it, people not knowing this stuff that's just part of the game the what they're doing they're kind of. Um, indoctrinating people with 
these things that we're talking about that are historical fact being so-called conspiracy theory? I, I, yeah, I, I, I doubt that most Americans have paid any attention to the news that uh, Syrian wheat crops across the country are being firebombed by U.S. helicopters, uh, which is uh, even during war, it's a war crime, but it's a crime against humanity. But it's uh, such a trivial thing. Uh, I haven't seen much talk about it. I have a question. It's, I guess it's, I mean, it's related, but it's more general than that. So do you think that if evil <laughs> triumphs and it basically has its way, do you think that evil is stable as a structure? Do you think at some point will simply collapse because it, that's just not how nature works and it's against almost almost like against physical laws? Or do you think it it would last indefinitely if it achieves complete control? Uh, uh, yeah, they, they always need the abject obedience, uh, insufficient uh, quantity to uh, let them uh, have servants and. Uh, uh, murderers, assassins, and so on. Uh, and uh, at some point, uh, that dwindles. Uh, they they get weakened by their uh, use and uh, their expendability uh, makes them, uh, I think, unsustainable. Do you think that, that that may be one reason behind the collapse of most empires? Because they all seem to follow a pretty similar script. There is a peak, right? And there is this long decline uh, through which, of course, there is increase in authoritarianism, police state, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually there is this rapid collapse. But, um, you know, the, the this idea yeah. of like evil triumphed and, and then it collapsed because it triumphed, that seems to be a repeating theme across history. Uh, yeah, they keep increasing their power. Uh, the, the use of power is mainly to increase the power. Uh, and uh, when you keep increasing uh, the power, like the concentration of wealth, uh, just the concentration of wealth is pretty soon going to mean uh, that Amazon owns everything and uh, everyone else is expendable. So you'll have one corporation, and what will they do to increase their power? The, the uh, board of directors is going to start fighting for who has the most power. I see. Ray, I, I quoted, uh, you responded to somebody in email, and you said, no, a person is never again the same after reacting to an aluminum adjuvant. adjuvant. The official figures of the U.S. government show clearly that the epi epi epidemic of chronic diseases began with the massive increase of vaccination in 1989. And that created quite a, I don't go on Facebook very often, but I posted that on there and it riled a lot of people up. So uh, do you want to offer more information or, or context about that? Because... Um, uh, this is a very real thing that's probably, uh, I mean, in the works or has already been worked out and is probably coming pretty soon. What What do you think people need to know about uh, rolling up their sleeve and getting uh, a vaccine from Gates et al.? Uh, well, the size of a baby's brain 
in, especially in relation to its body length at birth, has been growing from early 20th century steadily down to the 1970s. And uh, yeah. uh, there, there in, in some countries, uh, it has actually, in the 1980s, begun shrinking. Uh, and I, I think that's a pretty good worldwide indicator of, of the state of well-being and of deterioration. What? Are you, are you familiar with the Flynn effect, which is the increase? the parallel increase in, in IQ all the way up until like the mid 1970s. And after that, this, this it's been basically in decline and there aren't even any trials trials. They're just, it's just, just decline. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, do you know of uh, Ernest Sternglass's uh, study of the uh, SAT scores? Yeah, I've seen that, but, and I've also seen the sperm counts and testosterone levels in males have been, Precipitously declining since the seventies, and they're matching perfectly that declining curve in IQ as well. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, head size in relation to body and IQ, uh, and uh, probably several other indicators uh, of general well-being uh, have all uh, stopped increasing and begun begun declining. Uh, I, I think uh, you can see it even in body shape and facial shape yep some people pointed out ray that you bear you i mean my limited experience of reading your stuff like some people have said and i agreed that i've never heard you say like a person is never again the same <laughs> and so is there something specifically uh really uh harmful about the aluminum like what is it about the aluminum adjuvant oh i uh, no, no, anything you do, uh, you're, you're always in process. Uh, Her Heraclitus uh, yeah. didn't miss anything. Uh, there, there is nothing that is ever uh, constant. Uh, and so uh, if you uh, ate chocolate uh, rather than strawberry ice cream, uh, you're never going to be the same again. <laughs> That's what I thought. It was like shifting a trajectory of a person's life in a di just a different direction. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and there are some things that uh, shift the trajectory more seriously and uh, more downward. Uh, ra radiation and stuff injected into your muscles or brain. Uh, are especially harmful. The, the radiation uh, is equivalent because it affects things uh, at the deepest levels the same way injected materials do, uh, or in inhaled or swallowed uh, nanoparticles that go everywhere in the body, which are just sitting there ready to make genes out of the RNA, ready to translated into not only DNA to make the spike protein to create an inflammatory reaction that will lead to immunity, but DNA that can be incorporated into our genes so that our offspring will continue making that spike protein. And if we don't make enough of it to kill the person 
uh, within the year before they start mass producing the vaccine, uh, a very large portion of the uh, volunteer subjects for, for this vaccine uh, have had serious reactions. Uh, up, uh, they call it a, a grade three uh, serious reaction uh, that might involve hospitalization. Uh, no, no one uh, died, so they went on. But uh, the incorporation of RNA uh, will will undoubtedly have effects that uh, are going going to be at least somewhat harmful, uh, maybe progressively harmful, uh, all the way to killing the person. So in terms of transgenerational effects, I know you've mentioned this before uh, on a related to the vaccines, but uh, how, uh, which generation do you think would, would have it worse? Like worst, would it be like third, fourth, fifth, or would it be even, even further down the line? Because it seems like the first generation that gets it gets harmed, but maybe it'll survive. Then the second generation, it may get skipped, but the third one seems to be really where the bomb explodes. I, I think it depends on what, the individual confronts in each generation. Uh, uh, The the number of genes specifying uh, making a a human being in our genome is somewhere around 1% to 2% of our DNA, and around half of our DNA specifies retroviruses yeah. And each of those retroviruses is recognizable because it has a reverse transcriptase. And these are probably, uh, when we're under stress, these are expressed to different degrees. Uh, when, when we're well-fed and happy, uh, we, we can take in something like, like the uh, spike protein RNA, uh, pack it away uh, as a potential uh, virus, but keep it out of the way. Uh, the the uh, uh, trans, uh, transgenic or epigenetic uh, effects are under control, but uh, anything that uh, creates a great problem. Uh, our uh, system opens up this vast uh, library uh, of genetic material, shakes out uh, some stuff, produces exosomes from it which resemble viruses. Uh, we're, we're constantly, uh, to the degree that we're under stress, uh, our, our cells are manufacturing exosomes just about the same size and structure of the coronaviruses and other viruses. And these are used to adapt to whatever it is that's bothering us. Aging or infection, poisoning, whatever that shakes up the organism arouses some degree of, of this uh, library of, of uh, reference 
DNA material uh, and uh, adding uh, one bit to it uh, might not uh, come out for 20 generations, but it's still idiotic to put uh, uh, the the most toxic uh, protein, uh, the the spike protein, to put the uh, RNA specifying that into our library of resources. Speaking of uh, messing up with our DNA and, and transgenerational effects, are you familiar? I mean, people asked you multiple times uh, about your opinion on GM, GMO crops. And I think you usually said that something along the lines of that, you know, that the, these artificial genes that are there could be highly allergenic. But I haven't seen you say um, much in terms of whether this could have a transgenerational effect. Do you think it, it may? Oh, oh, sure. Oh, everything has a transgenerational effect. Okay. Are you familiar with the epicyte gene that Monsanto patented? It's called uh, EPICYT, epicyte gene. I don't know. I haven't heard of it. So apparently this is, I mean, you can be Google, but it, it is a artificially created gene for corn that specifically makes um, human males sterile. Now, I, I have no idea why Monsanto would be interested in such a gene um, <laughs> unless they really had an intention of using it. But apparently, the, the, there are genes in the plants that can actually cause direct sterility effects, and no vaccine is needed. So I've been thinking lately about how, you know, all of these efforts to conceal the labeling of the of the food uh, in the United States and even in the entire Western world to prevent people from knowing whether they're eating genetically modified food or not. So if the powers that be want to do population control, it seems like they can do it through food as well. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, um, the the um, everything in a vaccine uh, practically uh, is uh, adequate to uh, create uh, allergies in uh, a young person receiving it, uh, and uh, if you include. Uh, uh, the nucleic acid, uh, as this new uh, vaccine is doing, uh, well, the, the old vaccines all had nucleic acids in them uh, as dirt, uh, the, the egg uh, or other uh, animal tissue or, or embryo tissue that is used to uh, grow the viruses for the vaccine. Uh, that always leaks uh, proteins and nucleic acids from from what they grow it in. Uh, and so those are among the things that people are being made allergic to by injecting it to the, into them. Uh, that's how you create an uh, experimental allergy in, in animals. Uh, and uh, no one denies that it is uh, uh, in the composition of, of genes and so accounting for the uh, 25 fold increase in uh, young people's allergies uh, and uh, now now that they're acknowledging that they're putting a nucleic acid in uh, everyone who receives the vaccine is going to have to be labeled a genetically modified organism <laughs> speaking of protection from vaccines i'm sure you've seen that most of the adjuvants that are in there they target the endotoxin receptor TLR4 or one of the TLRs. Um, so would it be 
would it be pertinent to administer something if somebody's, let's say somebody doesn't have a choice, is forced to be vaccinated, maybe they're in the military or work in the healthcare industry. Um, do you think that blocking that receptor before getting that vaccine would um, would confer some protective effects if the endotoxin... Uh, uh, everything anti-inflammatory that you do is going to tend to inhibit that. Uh, but okay. everything you do that is stressful is going to sensitize it. Uh, and uh, the, 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 that's happening with, with any vaccine. Uh, uh, the um, in, inflammatory system uh, uh, arranged around uh, the endotoxin inflammation system. Uh, everything you do risks activating that, and that activates uh, histamine, serotonin, angiotensin, and so on. Everything that's uh, involved in the coronavirus disease, so-called. Uh, the, the real disease is just a very standardized uh, stress disease. Uh, that, that's why it uh, overlaps so perfectly with sepsis uh, or high-altitude pulmonary uh, edema, uh, 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 ARDS uh, caused by uh, trauma, uh, everything uh, that uh, tends to kill you uh, tends to create uh, the same condition. Uh, and uh, why, why the, some people uh, react badly to, to the uh, uh, coronavirus were... Uh, Seventy percent or so don't notice they have anything worse than maybe a sniffle. Uh, uh, but uh, the um, there there have been eight or ten uh, studies that uh, looked at the uh, outcome of people who had uh, been given the influenza shots, uh, and uh, uh, the huge. A campaign in Italy and the U.S. last year to push uh, uh, influenza vaccine uh, on old people. Uh, according to the, the results of these several studies, people who were vaccinated uh, against influenza, according to their arguments, had somewhat less cases of influenza, maybe 45% protection, but they were as much as five or six times as likely to have other respiratory infection. So just looking at those figures, you would say that the great vaccination campaign of old people, total of uh, uh, approaching 170 million in the U.S. I don't know how many in Italy. Uh, if you in doubled or tripled or quadrupled uh, the number of non-influenza respiratory diseases, uh, you would expect to have a much higher percentage of coronavirus infections, which is what we did see. 
but so in principle, something just you know just taking like a hefty dosage of aspirin about an hour before a, a forced vaccine would be like a decent decent attempt to protect yourself. Uh, yeah, very good because uh, all of these things, angiotensin uh, activates among other things the prostaglandins, and if you stop the prostaglandin storm. Uh, you reduce all of the cytokine storm. Uh, but aspirin is just one of the protective things. Uh, the blockers of angiotensin itself, angiotensin receptor blockers, uh, stop at its uh, source uh, uh, the cytokine storm, uh, inflammatory uh, storm. Uh, and uh, you might have heard that in Italy, uh, one place uh, the mortality of men was four times, well, 82% of the deaths were, were men, 18% women. But one big study across the country found between three and four times as many men as as women uh, uh, dying, uh, and the, uh, the, the only premenopausal women in more than a thousand cases uh, who, who died uh, were uh, radically uh, abnormal, uh, uh, had hormonal, uh, other uh, extreme metabolic uh, problems. And uh, uh, several, several uh, studies have uh, uh, documented in the U.S. it's maybe two and a half times as many uh, dead men as women. But uh, probably in the U.S., uh, more women are, are supplementing uh, estrogen. Uh, and estrogen, uh, well, it's reciprocal. Uh, estrogen increases uh, uh, angiotensin and angiotensin activates aromatase uh, and and so uh, women especially uh, after menopause if they're uh, taking extra estrogen uh, are uh, equivalent to having lower progesterone uh, the men uh, even in old age uh, men have much lower uh, uh, progesterone than women, but their estrogen, an old man's estrogen is often the same as an old woman's. It's a progesterone that's extremely different. So and, the, the, go ahead. Uh, the, the other big natural difference that shows up in the figures is that high altitude mortality is a, a uh, about uh, fourfold less, three three to fourfold lower uh, in Bolivia, um, uh, Western China, around Tibet, uh, and uh, um, uh, uh, another um, South American country. And looking at uh, the high plateau states of Mexico, uh, it was. Uh, uh, around three times uh, as uh, high in the 
low-altitude states as in the central plateau states. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the only hormone uh, difference that is extreme at very high altitude uh, is progesterone, which increases uh, adaptively and protectively. Uh, uh, when you're able to, to adapt, uh, you, you keep your carbon dioxide very high uh, and that goes with uh, allopregnanolone and progesterone metabolites uh, being elevated. Uh, to shift gears a little bit, <clears throat> right? I, I forget what article it was, but it was a James W. Prescott article. It's Body Pleasures, Pl- Body Pleasure and the Origins of Violence in 1975. And just a snippet from that, it's uh, and the greatest threat comes from the nations which have most depriving most depriving environments for their children, which are most repressive repressive of sexual affection and female sexuality. So that makes that makes sense to me. And, and but I'm also interested in kind of the things we've talked about before, kind of the sexualization of the culture and how that that's kind of used as a weapon. And so where is the healthy middle ground between those two things? Uh, uh, between middle ground, between which things? Uh, the, Repression. The the uh, do you remember it? it's the James W. Prescott article? It's called Body Pleasure and the yeah. Origins of Violence. Yeah. And then uh, the only thing I didn't read off is in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, like a 1946 edition. He said, as political and economic freedom diminishes, sexual freedom tends to uh, compensatingly uh, increase. And so that I mean, just in my limited view, that kind of seems like what we're going through now, like just these <laughs> ever growing series of sexual revolutions as our like normal freedoms diminish over time. And so, I don't know, maybe your just your general thoughts of like sexualization being used as, as a type of weapon against people. Uh, Prescott uh, was, was a Reichian, and I would agree with, with Reich that uh, sexual freedom has been a fraud and a distortion of sexuality rather than a liberation. Yeah, deviancy, I would call it. The what? Uh, I would call it sex, sexual deviancy instead of sexual oh, oh, freedom, wouldn't uh, you? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the weirdness has been amplified and the uh, actual free expression. Uh, uh, the CIA, uh, with Gloria Steinem, for example, as a CIA operative uh, creating... Uh, a, a new view of feminism uh, r- rather than erotic uh, uh, free feminism. It was uh, industrial grade power feminism. And then, and then do you trace that back to Kinsey and uh, apparently he was supported by the, the Rockefellers and uh, on the front page or the cover of time magazine, the CIA mouthpiece. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you don't? Do you think his science was very good? <laughs> do you think his science was very good? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I don't think uh, his science was really science. <laughs> and the other kind of tag along question to this is: um, in your email wiki, you said that high estrogen does sometimes cause an insatiable uh, sexual interest, partly because it increases adrenal androgens and partly by inhibiting satisfying orgasms. 
And so I know, I know in my experience, kind of my libido has fluxed. Like sometimes I'll think my libido is great or something. And then I'll, I'll take something that's obviously lowering stress and it will decrease. And in talking to people, that seems like sometimes a person will be disturbed because they'll perceive their libido as to be like awesome. But sometimes I suspect maybe it's the stress driving the libido. So is that something, uh, can, I mean, can you cl- clarify that statement or add, uh, flush it out a little bit? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Wilhelm Reich uh, called it uh, uh, the uh, genitalization, uh, the, the localization uh, of the organ orgasm, and uh, uh, losing uh, the whole organism's uh, uh, function of the orgasm. Uh, he saw the uh, the real orgasm as a cosmic thing in which you're your whole view of of your partner and the universe is undergoing a change so that your both of your personalities and position in the world change the orgasm is a discovery rather than a sneeze in the loins so basically sex is an art is a form of art um, I, I guess. Well, what do you make of like sexual obsession? There are like movements online from no fap to or like no masturbation, uh, anti porn. So people are like waking up, waking up to the like. Didn't the Israel like uh, put porn in Palestine on the televisions or something to like? It's obviously like why is porn free on the uh, on computers and stuff? Like even when I was born in 1985, like seeing a pornographic image was such a rarity even in my youth. But now it's just like everywhere. And so if somebody felt like they were. Uh, um, really into that, what would be some things that they could do to detach, do you think? Oh, um, I think a good place to start would be to read some of Wilhelm Reich's writings. Uh, 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 he uh, saw it as, as a very important uh, political uh, question that made him an anti-Nazi well, if somebody's physiology was so, so again, I, I'd be curious on your opinion about this, but maybe like the low energy hypothyroid state, like the, the, and I'm not, I'm not trying to moralize masturbation or anything, but if somebody is attracted to that, maybe that's like a low energy activity and kind of an exciting thing to do when you're in, in such a low energy state, does that make sense at all? Oh, oh sure. It can be relaxing and, and, break stress exactly like as an anti it's like something a person can do similar to going buying alcohol or cigarettes like there's a limited amount of things in the culture a person can do to try to uh, dampen the stress response and that's one of the things i uh, uh, yeah uh, uh, little kids uh, often do it just to go to sleep uh, ha- having fantasies and rubbing themselves and then going to sleep helps to relax. Yeah, I, I wanted to say, so, uh, I mean, because Danny mentioned that these movements to, like, try to abstain from, like, from consuming pornographic material online. Um, I was thinking of a 
similar but slightly divergent line. If this is a self, this is a way of self-medication of lowering cortisol, similar to what an alcoholic would do or a drug addict would do. Um, it may be maybe better to to sort of try to search for the reasons why we're drawn uh, to this excessive uh, sexuality all the time and sort of try to remove the reasons instead of trying to abstain. Because I think the abstaining from the one of the few things that brings relief, that can itself also be pathological, right? Uh, oh, sure. Uh, uh, the obsessive uh, uh, trying to change your behavior as part of an obsessive attitude. I'm sure you've seen these programs, the so-called abstinence education, which the uh, the Bush presidency heralded and tried to impose on every school in the country. I mean, they failed spectacularly, and, and at the time they said, oh, it's because the American youth is so undisciplined, but there's probably a physiological reason behind it. It's basically these people are doing these things because they feel a relief so it's it's really counterproductive to go and tell them no, you should be abstaining. You shouldn't be doing these things because they're because because it's immoral. It, it usually has a it kind of like backfires. You know, the public sometimes says, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do more <laughs> simply because the authority uh, yeah. is telling me don't do it. Uh, yeah, the the sense of an erotic self is a, a very powerful. Uh, uh, barrier uh, against accepting uh, uh, imposition of uh, duty and authority, uh, just uh, pr preserving uh, that little uh, private corner uh, can save a person uh, uh, from uh, whatever uh, monstrous situation they're in. Do you see sexuality as a liberating force in nature? Because the reason I'm asking this is because if uh, if you look at throughout history, every authoritarian society tried to brutally control sexuality. To this day, there, there are cultures out there that would kill you if you break certain sexual norms. Is it because sexuality is such a powerful force that it can quickly undermine the powers that be if it's left uncontrolled? Uh, oh, yeah. The, the authorities on uh, why... Uh, uh, circumcision is so important. Uh, recognize that it was to uh, give an obedient, cheerful uh, uh, attitude toward sex. Uh, I see. Uh, so, so that they recognized uh, that you could be cut any any time, and uh, uh, the the, uh, the political Im implications of sexuality, uh, all, all the way from circumcision. Uh, to uh, uh, Wilhelm Reich's uh, sex politics, uh, it, it's really w worth investigating and, and thinking about uh, how the personality uh, goes through energy cycles, uh, and the energy cycles are cycles of consciousness, uh, and uh, you are constantly uh, uh, inventing and discovering new things every time you have a satisfactory full cycle. And right, part of the function of estrogen, uh, if, if it is related to an insatiable interest in sex, is that like a signal that the environment is bad and that the organism should try to uh, reproduce as fast as possible? Is that somewhat related? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, the uh, 
worse the situation is, like in the spring when there's a drought underway, grass like wheat will rush to come to a head and produce a seed. Maybe only a few little ones, but it will manage to survive the cycle by accelerating everything. The early puberty in in girls in extremely stressed societies, nine nine or ten years old, while in traditional calm well-fed societies, especially with uh, enough saturated fats like butter uh, or coconut oil, uh, as in uh, parts of India, uh, puberty uh, would normally be around 17 or 18 years old. Uh, And uh, uh, the the whole organism would have time to mature uh, more thoroughly. In terms of Healthy sexuality, would you say that it's better to have a robust sexual arousal response when stimulated, but not really, you know, libido, uh, having much of a libido response without stimulation versus this current craziness of somehow people have convinced themselves that having a high libido all the time, whether you're surrounded by a stimulating event or not, they don't care about this. Now the, the culture is saying being hypersexual is good, but to me it seems that being hypersexual is good only if the right stimulus is there. If you're hypersexual all the time, then something's wrong, right? Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's irrational if, if you're excited by a, a shoe or, <laughs> or, or, or a toad or, or something uh, irrelevant. <laughs> you wouldn't be very popular among common sexologists. They'll say, don't shame people's kinks, Ray. Uh, some people like shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears a little bit um uh, finasteride ray i know we've we've talked about this in the past and in the quote i uh probably have sent to hundreds of people uh i think you said in 2014 it was just a reply to somebody asking you what they should do uh having taken finasteride and you said i think it probably started a chronic malfunction of your liver and intestine dot 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 a careful diet is probably good um, small amounts of thyroid pregnenolone. Can we just kind of flush out the details of one? My, my first question being like, there is if a person has to take finasteride, there's already a problem. And then two, what is how m- more difficult is the person's situation after they've taken the finasteride in your estimation? Well. First, no one has to take it. <laughs> it's it's an irrational decision, and it probably means you're already abjectly obedient to authority. It's such an unfounded, basically an insane decision. Even even if a person hasn't taken a chemistry or physiology course, uh, you could ask what it is, and uh, any information that you get is going to make make a, a thoughtful person fear it. And it's a very powerful intervention in your steroid chemistry 
which especially affects your brain. Uh, the brain is the biggest steroidogenic organ, uh, probably next to the skin. Uh, but uh, it's uh, change, changing your your chemistry, and uh, to, to get over it, you're going to have to push the system artificially, uh, at least as hard in the opposite direction to try to bring it back into a functional state. Well, uh, so I want to, that's good stuff. I want to talk more about that. When it does regrow hair, what do you think it's doing? I'm uh, somehow uh, shaking up the system, uh, a lot like creating uh, uh, an early false puberty. Uh, you can bring uh, some parts of the system uh, in the function in isolation. And then uh, do you think we know all the effects of what it is? Do you buy that it's just a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, or do you think it's doing a lot of other things? Oh, uh, undoubtedly other things. But, but the, it, uh, yeah. uh, uh, these 5-reductase, uh, uh, five, five both alpha and beta uh, reductases, uh, are uh, the steroids are, are central to well-being, uh, progress uh, uh, of consciousness, uh, uh, the, the orgasm function itself, uh, uh, brain brain development at its foundation. I'm sure you like this. Uh, uh, there was a study that I found recently, which uh, showed that even in snails. If you give them a finasteride or any other 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, and they confirm that it's specific to the five, this this effect is specific to the inhibition of the 5-alpha reductase, is that the snails no longer coil, so it completely disrupts their morphogenetic field, and this effect persists for several generations. So apparently, dihydrotestosterone or allopregnanolone, which they didn't test which one of the two. Uh, because the finasteride inhibits uh, just the enzyme that produces both of them. But apparently one of these hormones is extremely important for the morphogenesis of even snails. We can only imagine what inhibiting this enzyme does to the brain and to the human morphogenesis field. Yeah, the, the coiling of the brain is much more complex than the snail's coiling. <laughs> Dorchy touched on it a few episodes ago, but uh, he was—he suspected that you, when you said your liver and intestine, that dihydrotestosterone was important for intestinal function. Is that—is that what you were thinking when you wrote this? Do you think? Uh, uh, was with uh, uh, like no, no, no. I just I, I think of of uh, that category: uh, progesterone, uh, uh, dihydro. Uh, uh, testosterone, uh, uh, all of the uh, stabilizing steroids uh, as uh, essential to holding our organism in, in its shape mm -hmm. uh, and uh, determining its future shape, uh, the way it coils and uncoils. Specific to the digestion, uh, apparently the 5-alpha reductase enzyme, the whole family, is important for the synthesis of bile acids, which are steroid-like molecules. And, and if you inhibit the 5-alpha reductase enzyme, 
you won't be producing the bile acids, which are crucial, obviously, for digestion. And another thing I found out is that also the 5-alpha reductase family is responsible for turning cortisol into its reduced version, which is a lot less potent and actually in some cases acts as an as a uh, antagonist on the cortisol receptor. So it's, it looks like it's a fairly systemic protective function that these enzymes have that doesn't even have to do much with sexuality. It's more like metabolism and digestion and stress. I, I, yeah, that's why I always think of, of Heraclitus in connection to any seemingly simple biological issue. Nothing is simple. Everything goes on forever and changes. Uh, one last thing on this, and then we can move on if Georgie doesn't have any additional questions. But there's like a huge cult a culture around post-finasteride users, and a lot of them will say things like, we need to find a cure. And so w- what is your thought on that? I- I've often suspected that um, – like I, I, I'm bald no, well, well, the idea that you've taken finasteride, it's harmed you, and then uh, – oh, Hello? Oh, can, yes. Can you hear me? Can, can you hear me? Can you hear me, Georgie? Can you hear me? Can you hear yeah. me? Yeah. Yeah, we can okay. hear you now. Uh, I, I'll, I'll just I'll just rephrase the question. Okay. The uh, the idea of like the needing to find a cure, like what is what is your point of view on that specifically? Because if you if you say it's very complicated and it, and it started with your development uh, and and everything in your life, I think that just um, isn't acceptable to a lot of people. Uh, yeah. The, the association with the crease in the earlobe and the uh, altered cholesterol metabolism and everything, it says you've got to seriously back up and uh, not look for a, a cure in the medical sense, but to back up and uh, as radically uh, redo your life as possible. Uh, 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 such things as... Uh, uh, for example, going to a high altitude uh, for six weeks at a time and uh, eating a, a totally different diet, making sure that your calcium intake is very, very high compared to your phosphate intake. Uh, the phosphate, for example, excess activates uh, your parathyroid hormone, aldosterone, angiotensin, uh, everything that destroys hair growth, uh, phosphate excess is very crucial uh, for promoting. Uh, so doing everything, uh, high altitude uh, will increase uh, the balance uh, of progesterone and uh, 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 help to uh, uh, get, get the uh, parathyroid hormone and aldosterone and angiotensin uh, under control. Uh, but uh, you have to think of it uh, at, at that very fundamental level of, of uh, getting your energy system uh, revved up and turning off those toxic uh, uh, processes. The parathyroid hormone in itself is enough to knock out the hair follicle. Do you think, the uh, like, what is the extent of the damage to the vascular system when a person starts losing hair? Is that, like, 
how much of it is stopping the processes causing the hair loss and how much of it is attempting to reverse the damage that's already been done? Um, I, I think the, the things they do are seldom helpful. Uh, 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 getting getting your uh, spontaneous energy production high so that you're producing and retaining uh, uh, lots of carbon dioxide, uh, energizing and renewing uh, the follicle uh, uh, so that it uh, uh, selects and retains from from your blood supply, uh, the trace minerals that it needs, uh, high energy is needed for that, and the high energy uh, is expressed uh, through the balance of uh, uh, carbon dioxide and uh, keeping calcium out of the cells uh, by keeping your parathyroid hormone low, uh, keeping aldosterone low uh, by... by uh, doing everything anti-inflammatory. And just one other question. I mean, you probably already answered it, but like when somebody takes spironolactone or a progesterone or ciproterone acetate, what what do you see? I mean, you just mentioned a battery of different ways that it could improve things, but do you see progesterone heating uh, or increasing the temperature of the brain? Or is there a primary mechanism or, or something you see as it doing to restore hair growth? A, a progesterone is very closely connected to uh, maintaining uh, oxidative metabolism and uh, a higher body temperature uh, at rest. But could you, like an area of balding scalp, is that proportionately colder over a longer period of time, or is that too re- reductionist? Uh, is what... Like- uh, Evolving over like is the, the balding area of scalp proportionally colder over a longer period of time, or is that oh, a little? Oh, oh uh, uh, that that's because it, it's uh, quiet uh, relative to the other parts of the mm. brain. Uh, that that's your uh, uh, thought process. Uh, it's stabilized, but still at a good high temperature. Uh, you you can't think and plan. If your frontal lobes are cool, it's just that it has to be cooler than all the rest of your brain and body. And the progesterone is part of maintaining that coolness by keeping the activity focused rather than tending in the direction of excitotoxicity and inflammation. It it quiets it so that it can uh, think appropriately, uh, but it it does that against the background of of high high energy, high temperature, high carbon dioxide content. So so I could not be understanding, but like, are you saying like a desynchronization of the, of the brain? Like the, I know you've said the frontal lobes are supposed to be cooler and they, they act like a a dissipating heat structure, if I remember correctly. And then the inner parts of the brain are the hottest. And am I, am I following at all? Uh, Yeah. The, the, the hairlessness of of the front part of the brain is just part of uh, the fact that it's very hot, uh, but uh, by uh, being uh, uninsulated relatively, uh, it can be cooler 
than, than the inside. So one of the functions of the progesterone is to stabilize it so that it doesn't produce heat needlessly, but also to keep the temperature up so that the energy supply is there. The, the, the balance of carbon dioxide to lactic acid keep keeping the blocking hormones like parathyroid hormone Whoa. And then when uh, the the tissue gets colder or the brain gets colder, uh, well, what would be the directly behind the frontal lobes? Is, is like is that the part that is directly affected? And then the tissue the it gets cooler. The the protective steroids drop, as you said. The parathyroid hormone prolactin rises, and then that uh, increases the activation and mobilization of mast cells. And, and is that right at all? Uh, the, the whole organs, any cell, uh, when it's happy and successful and has done its work properly, uh, it uh, maintains high energy but quiescence. And uh, the frontal lobe of the brain is just the highest energy organ or tissue, uh, but uh, also the uh, mo most able to maintain a high degree of quiescence. So in a sense, balding could be viewed as a excit brain excitotoxicity problem? Is that what I'm hearing? Um, I, yeah, yeah. The, the, um, uh, you're you're uh, not, not keeping uh, the back part of your brain uh, uh, differentiated adequately from the front. Uh, if you raise your whole energy production, uh, that, that whole syndrome of, of an earlobe crease and high cholesterol and so on, uh, it almost always uh, goes with the chronic low temperature. So since estrogen is such a powerful, um, uh, <laughs> powerful agent of decreasing core temperature, um, would you say that agents that inhibit the synthesis of estrogen or block its effects, that would be a um, sort of more or less a, 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 a right approach for restoring hair growth? Yeah, the, the exact function of, of estrogen is to uh, block a, a cell uh, from going into that quiescent state uh, to okay. uh, force it to uh, uh, act uh, immediately and intensely uh, and uh, lead to the reproductive processes, uh, which uh, if you stay uh, under the influence of estrogen, it will never go beyond the uh, r rapid multiplication and, and growth phase. Uh, you have to turn off uh, that uh, uh, glycolytic uh, type of metabolism and go to the oxidative uh, aiming towards quiescence. So speaking of quiescence, um, I have a question about the GABA system. Um, progesterone is a, you know, is a GABA agonist, and there are many other drugs on the market that act on the same system as agonists. Um, would you say that it would be counterproductive to try to target that specific system because it would be too reductionist? Let's say an, ex an ex overly excited cell, um, you, know, you, you give it a GABA agonist drug to calm it down, but that, in theory, in principle, shouldn't work very well unless you also address the energetic deficiency, right? 
of what deficiency? The energetic deficiency oh, of the oh, cell. Yeah, you, you, you can't have a meaningful quiescence if you're simply exhausted. Uh, the Pavlovians had the idea of usually three energy states, the almost dead parabiotic state and the intermediate state of sort of frenzied activity uh, doing its function on and off uh, uh, active contraction, uh, uh, relaxation, and so on. Uh, and then the high energy resting state in which uh, it's simply quiescent, but uh, totally charged up and ready to work. Uh, uh, babies are, are good at getting into the high energy resting state uh, and uh, uh, someone uh, about to die uh, tends to uh, have parts of the brain and uh, other tissues uh, lapse into the parabiotic, almost dead state, just uh, uh, being quiet to save the last little bit of energy for surviving. So psychiatry more or less as a profession is wasting both its time and the time of its patients by administering all these GABA agonist drugs for all of these anxiety disorders and all kinds of other psychiatric disorders that are really energetic in origin. Uh, yeah, it, they can be useful for a day or two if you use them to uh, get some rest so that you can build things up. Uh, but but uh, they are they overlap and are in a way probably synonymous with the so-called calcium channels, uh, the excitotoxic. NMDA receptors, the glutamate receptors, uh, everything that uh, stress and estrogen uh, turn on, uh, these uh, that whole system uh, 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 turns off. Uh, and progesterone, carbon dioxide, uh, and uh, all of the other uh, good things uh, uh, suppress the excitotoxic and promote the uh, the GABA relaxing system. Between uh, carbon dioxide you, and thyroid, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, you can pile up uh, the the nominal uh, like uh, calcium channel blockers uh, with uh, uh, carbonic anhydrase inhibitors and uh, GABA receptors uh, and and so on. Uh, a pile of them uh, will will usually. Uh, be more effective than one of them, but but still, uh, you you've got to work on uh, the the actual metabolism and and get the the blockers like angiotensin and aldosterone and parathyroid hormone out of the way. Speaking of the uh, the carbonic anhydrase, um, which do you think is more systemically beneficial, thyroid hormone or carbon dioxide? Oh, uh, uh, well. Uh, People who have looked for uh, among all known organisms, uh, they could find lots of them uh, that can live without oxygen, but they couldn't find any single-celled organism uh, that can live continuously without carbon dioxide. Uh, so it's the without which uh, there is no life. So if there was a way to package carbon dioxide as a drug or a supplement, and then you have thyroid as a supplement. I guess supplementing with carbon dioxide would be, um, I don't know, uh, more systemic, less risky. 
I, I, yeah, it, it um, will stop the stress and very often give you a, a, a chance to uh, recover your own thyroid function. A, a good diet, if you can adapt to 10,000 feet altitude and then get a good diet, uh, your, your thyroid uh, will usually recover. Uh, at 9,000, 8,000 8, to 9,000 or 10,000 feet, uh, everyone lo- loses unnecessary fat or thyroid starts working properly. Is there an equivalent to, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Addison disease, which is adrenal failure. Is there an equivalent disease for thyroid where the thyroid gland kind of completely fails as the adrenals? Um, it used to be uh, uh, said to um, uh, be killed by tuberculosis. I, I don't, that, that was 150 years ago when, when they believed that uh, the, the thyroid gland enlargement uh, at that time they, they thought might be uh, inert uh, by an infection, but it was probably just uh, an extreme accumulation of, of uh, colloid uh, from hypothyroidism. I, I don't know of any actual confirmed disease in which the thyroid fails in itself. But a lifetime of 30 or 40 years of supplementing too much iodine will increase fibrosis and eventually carcinogenesis in the thyroid by driving high TSH activates uh, cell deterioration, fibrosis, and inflammation, uh, and so uh, you're, you're, you basically can drive it to, to death and, and fibrosis. But anytime you stop it while there's still something alive, a, a few cells can regrow. So, so just to summarize, so apparently, th- supplement with thyroid is not always necessary. If you can, if one can radically re-engineer their life, just as you mentioned go and live at high altitude for, let's say, several months in a row, change their diet, completely eliminate stress, then at least in principle, thyroid function should be recoverable uh, even without thyroid supplementation. Um, yeah, uh, and a fat person takes longer because uh, they'll have pounds of polyunsaturated fats waiting there to come out and poison your thyroid. <laughs> Speaking of thyroid race, something people push back on a lot is uh, in your TSH temperature pulse rate and other indicators uh, in hypothyroidism 2006, you wrote uh, healthy, intelligent groups of people have been found to have average resting pulse rate of 85 per minute, while less healthy groups average close to 70 per minute. Uh, like in my general experience of monitoring myself and talking to other people like that is that seems very true. But what were what were you th- specifically thinking of? When you wrote that, uh, oh, particular studies uh, in, in which they uh, uh, saw uh, lo- looking at different populations, uh, just just the uh, the relation uh, of blood circulation to brain function uh, and uh, uh, the, the um, uh, freedom from from sickness and so on. Uh, the higher temperature uh, uh, 
a, a good resting temperature right around uh, 37 Celsius uh, uh, goes with good brain function and general good health. But a few weeks ago on Twitter, uh, low-carb and keto people were uh, trying to one-up each other by uh, seeing who had the lowest t- uh, a pulse rate. And so it was around 40, four, I think 40 was the winner. So, And they were quoting articles saying that uh, as your pulse rate t- uh, went up, your all-cause mortality increased. So what what is your opinion on that? Oh, there have been a couple big propaganda studies uh, uh, five or ten years ago, uh, some in Denmark, and if you look at them carefully, uh, they're just basically propaganda for uh, selling blood pressure drugs, things to yeah. regulate your heart rate and pressure. And uh, last thing, uh, this is an article, um, I forget when it was, but the, it, it's, the quote is, the normal heart rate for a newborn should be 140, reducing to 115 between six months and one year, 110 between one and two years, 103 between two and six, 95 age six to 10, and 85 between 10 and 14 years. And that, is, that just reflects the lifelong decline of the metabolism. Is that right? Uh, yeah. yeah. The, the, the uh, intelligence basically goes down uh, with the metabolic rate, uh, I, I had a chance to uh, give the uh, Raven matrix uh, tests uh, to to some kids at different ages, and uh, uh, my niece, for example, when she was eight, uh, scored the same raw score as a, a university math professor. But when she was uh, in her teens, uh, she scored exactly the same score and hadn't advanced a bit. Uh, and uh, you, you, just being around kids, you can see that at eight or nine, uh, they're uh, as bright as they're ever going to be. Uh, and just some... Random questions, unless you have questions about that, Dorjee. Uh, the, the one thing I am interested in uh, is a half a grain dose versus a full grain. And uh, you wrote to somebody in 2018, and you said, if your diet lacks something such as selenium or vitamin D that's needed for thyroid to work, T4 can interfere with the effects of T3. If you take 25 or 50 micrograms in a single daily dose of, of T4, the liver will experience a momentary uh, momentarily momentary toxic overdose and over a period of a week or two will adapt to detoxification enzymes to destroy it with the result of the body uh, will be extremely deficient in thyroid most of the day and with a short period of toxic excess. So I guess what I'm getting, getting at is, is it always safer to dose a half a grain at a time versus a full grain because the more than 25 or 50 micrograms could be harmful to somebody? With the natural glandular material. If you take it with food, uh, it isn't all going to be digested for hours. Uh, Some of it is going to travel down your intestine. Uh, So uh, with natural thyroid, uh, you don't get such a bad effect uh, as with a a pure chemical. Uh, I experienced it myself taking uh, 25 micrograms of T3 uh, only in the morning. 
and uh, I don't remember how many weeks it was, but just a few weeks, and uh, uh, my heart began pausing for seconds at a time around sunset every day, and uh, I found uh, at sunset taking five or ten micrograms and rubbing it on the roof of my mouth. Uh, within 10 or 15 seconds, uh, my heart rhythm uh, was going from uh, pausing uh, every 10 seconds to a restored perfect rhythm. It, you know what? I think I, I am. I just realized I've been reading this uh, paragraph for, wrong for like years. You're talking about T3 in this. You're not talking about T4. Is there a unsafe amount of T4 to take at a single time? I was thinking the 25 to 50 was T4, but you're, you're obviously talking about T3. Um, it, yeah, uh, T4 is uh, more slowly uh, metabolized anyway, so it, it's going to uh, equilibrate into your tissues at uh, it, its background level is so much higher than T3 uh, that uh, the effect is going to be a lot slower. Uh, if, if you lack selenium and aren't uh, converting it, uh, then it, it does build up uh, over the weeks uh, and uh, it reaches the point uh, where it uh, interferes uh, with T3 uh, and becomes anti-thyroid. So one last question about this. Uh, so if a person were using Sinoplus, and they needed hypothetically two grains. Would that be, and maybe the, the person's sensitive, you know, or you're talking to a random person and you don't know how sensitive they are. Would it be safer to talk about half a grain four times a day or would one uh, grain twice a day be perfectly okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. One tablet of Sinoplus is like a little over two grains of armor. Uh, and uh, one tablet... I think has 30 micrograms of T3. And so if you take that uh, on an empty stomach uh, and absorb it quickly, uh, it's going to ha have that upsetting effect and your, your liver is going to uh, eventually give you a low T3 effect. <laughs> but the, the, the one grain at a time, 10 micrograms of T3 and 40 micrograms of T4, is that risky to take at one time? And not with food. The okay. food is going to slow it out. And, so. and last question, would you chew it or just swallow the pill whole? Uh, oh, uh, if you need, uh, like, like I wanted my heart to uh, not not stop for, for three seconds at a time. Uh, and so I chewed it up and, and got the almost instantaneous effect. Uh, uh, if if you're having terrible insomnia, uh, chewing up 10 micrograms can put you to sleep in uh, a few minutes. Uh, uh, people with uh, agonizing breast pain have uh, chewed up 10 micrograms and uh, found the pain was absolutely stopped in 10 or 15 minutes. I have a question about supplementing with thyroid. Considering the fact that... Uh Fatty acids, especially PUFA, interfere with both the transport and the uptake and the effects of thyroid hormone in the cell. Um, would it be pertinent to try to lower the fatty acids around the time 
somebody's taking thyroid, like take take it with niacinamide and or aspirin or any any oh, other measure that lowers free fatty acids. It's always good to keep the free fatty acids low. Okay. But it wouldn't it wouldn't have any any kind of like a synergistic effect to do that when you're taking thyroid. In other words, to get more use of the thyroid you're already ingesting, you would would it help to, you know, in this specific oh, case? If so, yeah. In the case of glandular thyroid, the unsaturated fats are even blocking the breakdown of in in your stomach and. Uh, the further metabolism in your body is being blocked at all different points by polyunsaturated fatty acids. Oh, wow. So you won't even break down the thyroglobulin in the stomach when you're taking the glandular? Um, uh, yeah, that, uh, the, the, um, uh, some of the, the food technology people have, have uh, reasoned that the reason uh, for polyunsaturated fats in so many seeds uh, is to block uh, uh, mammalian stomach enzymes to uh, make the, the seed uh, unnutritious uh, so they all stop eating it because it blocks the proteolytic enzymes. Okay. Uh, Ray, I know it's uh, getting pretty late, so I'm conscious of the time and I'll let you go. The last question I had for you was, do you have a strong opinion about what's going on in Antarctica? (laughs) And so this has been a mild fascination of mine, and I watched a pretty good video about it, and they threw out a bunch of things from magnetic anomalies to weather experiments to a source of uranium, and and a bunch of old newspapers about uh, describing snow-free land uh, on Antarctica and things like that. So have you studied the topic? Do you have a strong opinion about it? Uh, no, not a bit. <laughs> have you seen the news recently about the neutrinos, the high-energy neutrinos they found in that detector in Antarctica, and they're saying uh, these particles should not exist, something is wrong with a standard model, but nobody's, nobody's you know, saying the obvious, which may be that the Earth is creating new matter. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, that's the reason why these high energy neutrinos are there. Are they uh, coming in a certain direction out of the earth or falling? Yes. Yes. And they're saying they're coming out of the earth. And of course the main theory is like, well, clearly the assumption is they're not coming from the earth. In other words, the, the earth is not the source. So if they're coming from the outer space, how the hell are they going through the entire earth? and are coming out of the South Pole, but we're not detecting them at the North Pole. And nobody's saying the obvious, which is maybe they originated from the Earth. Um, I, I just thought it's, it's been boggling the scientific minds for the last three or four years. It hits the news every once in a while. I don't know if you've seen it on the news or not. I, I, no, that would be very important if, if the Earth is emit, emitting them. Uh, uh, do you know the neutrino C theory? Uh, uh, the, Dudley, uh, the 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 uh, one from Dudley. Horace yeah, Dudley, yeah. Um, I read one paper. I was I was only able to find one thing that in a PDF file on online, and it's basically he was saying that the stars are creating this stream of neutrinos, and they're the source of all matter. Uh, and I think the Electric Universe theory folks have been saying, confirming that, and saying, yes, the electric force acts upon the acts upon the neutrinos, and when they split, they form 
these cosmic rays and, and all new matter that we're seeing around us? Uh, that was just, uh, I think, a minor part. His general thing was that the universe is pervaded by a neutrino sea, which possibly has a dielectric effect. And for that reason, neutrinos naturally associate with charged matter, all matter being charged. So the concentration of neutrinos increases in proportion to matter. And uh, it, it fits with the uh, Hindu guy's uh, uh, theory of of uh, uh, gravity as as a dielectric phenomenon, uh, with the neutrino C being the dielectric which associates with matter. And uh, the I, I happen to look up uh, another paper that a professor had mentioned uh, by a physicist named Anderson in, in which uh, uh, the, the um, presence of a monolayer of a radioactive material on a crystalline material, uh, in, in this case, a radioactive uh, vegetable oil uh, on aluminum foil. Uh, he showed that the uh, supposedly stochastic nuclear decay was non-random when the oil was spread out in a monolayer. And and that paper was published in the same journal uh, of the uh, uh, Italian physics journal uh, in, in which Dudley published his neutrino C uh, uh, argument uh, predicting that uh, uh, crystalline matter would act as a, a, a beam, a focuser of this neutrino C, which associates as as a dielectric, but it would be altered in the presence of crystalline matter, in which the the charges are arranged in an orderly way. And he predicted uh, that uh, the crystal structure could regulate nuclear decay and warned that uh, the state of nuclear fuel in reactors or weapons uh, could govern uh, the, the spontaneous fission and uh, uh, make it unpredictable. Uh, so his article was a warning, but uh, Anderson's article, uh, neither of them knew about the other, uh, but uh, the experimental evidence happened to be pu published the same time the theory was. So basically, nuclear weapons are, are, are incorrectly inst unstable. They may self-combust. Uh, well, not, not self-combust, but self-ignite. Yeah, and so if if there's, uh, for example, uranium or at the uh, the South Pole, uh, this could be uh, the equivalent of uh, the, the reactive stuff uh, being focused, focusing the neutrinos, and so, so it could be another confirmation of of Dudley and Anderson. Okay, in uh, one of your interviews, you talked about the. Uh 
piece of matter existing through time would convert the, this this neutrino stream into energy, and you call it a neg entropy. Can you expand a little bit on that? Is that how en- basically matter is sustained as a stable substance by through this neutrino sea that's passing through it? Um, yeah, that was Dudley's uh, view uh, that it was participating uh, in, in the mirror mass, uh, uh, attracting the neutrinos, which uh, affect such things as nuclear uh, decay. Uh, that uh, the mass is acting on itself through the the, the neutrino sea. Okay. Uh, um, in such such things as generating order. Okay. Uh, what do you think Kozirev was measuring when he was doing his experiments with what he called processes that produce would, that emit or absorb time? What What do you think he was measuring in those experiments? I've Basically, just energy, and uh, uh, when when energy appears unaccountably, uh, he he did calculations to to show why uh, the passage of time is always adding a certain amount of energy uh, to to the system, which uh, could involve Dudley's. Uh, neutrino C, but Kozirov uh, uh, called it time, but uh, empirically, he, he started his theory uh, to predict uh, the source of stellar energy uh, and scaling uh, the mass of a star down, uh, the, the mass of the sun uh, uh, corresponded according to his uh, astronomical measurements uh, to, to all of the stars uh, he was looking at. Uh, and so he uh, looked at the planets uh, and uh, finally the dark side of the moon uh, as the smallest uh, accessible planet uh, and uh, aiming his uh, spectroscopic uh, uh, telescope on the dark of the moon uh, with a photographic plate in it, he, he photographed uh, red spots periodically in the volcanic areas of the moon. Volcanic eruptions were recorded, and American astronomers said he was just a drunk Russian. There can't be volcanic action on the moon. But most recently, there's an anomalous heat emission from uh, I think it's next to the last uh, gaseous planet, uh, and uh, this very recent uh, uh, new data about uh, the heat coming out of uh, this planet uh, fits his predictions uh, that, according to the mass, uh, all the planets uh, except Venus uh, are emitting the same energy in, in relation to mass as the moon and the sun and stars. Two more questions related to that. Are you aware of any follow-up work on uh, after Dudley's publications? Anybody who took this up and developed it further? Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, and if we assume that the neutrino C is also synonymous for that 
electrically charged ether, or not electric charge, but electric ether with electrical properties. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the ether drift experiments, which uh, oh, yeah. some some people will say were I, falsified. I, I, yeah, it's exactly if, if the uh, neutrino C is the ether, and uh, it's uh, attracted uh, simply as a dielectric, uh, very very light gas. Uh, then you'd have some drift, uh, some uh, it uh, carries carries some of it along, but some of it slips through. Uh, so uh, uh, Dudley uh, exactly uh, calculated uh, uh, things that were, were uh, consistent with the measurements. There was a uh, physicist who uh, apparently repeated the. Uh the 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 experiment to detect the ether in the 80s he he worked for uh, Caltech and NASA I'm blanking on his name I think his last name was either Silver or Silverstein uh, long story short he found that the Earth has um, basically a drift uh, is basically moving preferentially in space towards the Sagittarius constellation so he he not only said that the ether probably exists but also that it its flow seems to have a preferential direction. Do you would you have do you have any opinion on why that direction may exist and is there any anything special towards e- the ether moving preferentially in a certain direction? Uh, well, like the like the electric uh, universe, uh, uh, the universe is a thing, and it, it must obey uh, uh, any laws of physics that are valid, and and so. Uh, that's just another uh, unexplored uh, uh, part of the universe. So maybe there's more matter there, and the sort of the neutrinos are uh, uh, drawn towards that that part of the universe. Uh, yeah, the universe is doing something we haven't found out yet. What do you think black holes are? I mean, aside from them being a completely fake object that astronomy is trying to convince us are breaking the laws of physics, do you think they're just a uh, um, I don't know. Special regions of space attracting neutrinos somehow. Um, yeah, I, I think mostly uh, they're uh, something designed uh, to fit uh, fit the paradigm. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you read Seeing Red? Halton Arp. Yeah, Halton Arp. Yeah, Arp, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he his observations. Uh, didn't at all fit with the Big Bang uh, uh, explanation of, of redshift. Uh, and the redshift goes with the neutrino C uh, and electric uh, universe and so on. Uh, uh, so uh, they wouldn't let him use the telescope anymore. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of the electric universe, Ray, do you have an opinion on... Um What's it called? That the movie they made. It's called Symbols of an Alien Sky, where they think the planets used to be in a different conformation. Does that make sense to you at all? Uh, oh, for everything is changing. But but specifically, they're 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 saying those conformations explain a lot of history. Would you take it that far? Do you think that's that is a reasonable explanation? Yeah. 
Oh, nice. I, that, Georgie, have you seen it? It's an excellent documentary. It's really What was the debate by an astronomer? Was it Vernadsky who had like a huge argument uh, with the astronomic community who said that the Earth has experienced a lot of cataclysms in its Ve- recent Ve- history? Velikovsky, I think. Velikovsky, yeah. Velikovsky, yes. Yeah. So maybe that's what he was, he was referring to. Um, maybe because of that different configuration, the cataclysms on Earth uh, are what all these big religions are talking about. Yeah, I've read him, and I I think his arguments are plausible. That's everything. You know what? The one last thing we didn't touch on that I put in the title, and then we'll read the Super Chats, and I'll let you go, Ray. Uh, Do you want to just uh, talk about DHT? Like, what what is your general rundown of that? Because I I think you've described it in email, but I can't think of an interview where where you've ever really talked about it. I'm sure sure you have, but what, what is your general thought on dihydrotestosterone? Oh, uh, uh, in general, uh, uh, things like that uh, are, are not to be messed with unless you have a, a very specific uh, knowledge uh, of a deficiency. Uh, because if you uh, uh, take take a little too much, uh, any of, of those uh, defining uh, uh, feature-creating uh, hormones uh, can uh, change the whole system in an unpredictable way. Uh, and uh, I, I would uh, suggest first uh, get, getting a good picture of uh, what the problem is. Uh, and uh, uh, there are usually uh, more ways to fix it. Uh, uh, correcting thyroid vitamin D and DHEA and pregnenolone uh, will will usually bring your uh, DHT up to where it should be. And, and in terms, but, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, in, in something like like breast cancer or prostate cancer, uh, it, it's one of the things that uh, can can give a big push to the system if you're uh, wanting to interrupt the process. In health, in in sickness and disease, uh, health, sickness and disease, do you see? it ever being warranted to supplement with DHT directly? I know you said you should always correct the upstream things first, but do you, do you see DHT like a pro- progesterone maybe for males or is it not that simple? Uh, uh, no, uh, pregnenolone uh, and then uh, as a first thing and then DHEA uh, if you need a more androgenic uh, thing. Uh, pregnenolone will push your uh, neurosteroids, uh, the, the crucial regulating things that you don't want to throw out of balance. And, and with an, a strong androgen like DHT, uh, that would be one uh, big risk that you could uh, throw off your neurosteroids. Can you can you dive into that a little bit more? How how would how because how would that work? Uh, well, if you have a, a definite problem that you want to fix, mm-hmm. uh, osteoporosis or cancer, for example, uh, then you can uh, using to to the effect, uh, and you'll see the effect. Doses for that for the people that do need it. One milligram. One milligram daily, dissolved in tocopherols, say, or like taken with fat? Uh-huh. Okay. 
Well, right, you do have that quote about testosterone, and you say it's essential to have everything else in place, thyroid, calcium, magnesium, protein, vitamin D, vitamin E, pregnenolone, DHEA, then one milligram per day can have a very strong effects. And a person could spend five years optimizing those things. So that is that, you have a similar point of view with DHT. You just need to put a bunch of things in place before kind of even thinking about experimenting with it. Uh, yeah, the, the DHT... You don't have to worry quite as much as you do with testosterone, but uh, if you're very sparing with the testosterone, uh, even DHEA can feminize a man if he takes 25 milligrams a day. And almost every day I hear someone taking injections of uh, 30 or 50 milligrams of testosterone per week, uh, which is several times. Uh, what a teenage boy would be making, yeah. and and so it's it's all going to be uh, going towards estrogen and and doing more harm than good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Georgie and I have talked about this many times. That that, that is such a common therapy of like gigantic doses of testosterone, and so uh, I'm glad you touched on it. Uh, Georgie, did you have anything else before we? move on to super chats and we we end this whole thing <laughs> yeah i guess i mean my last question related to dha do you have an opinion of why the endocrinological industry came up with these insane daily recommendations i mean i know personally an endocrinologist and they think that 25 milligrams of dha daily is a minuscule dosage despite the many studies showing that anything over 10 or 15 milligrams daily reliably increases estrogen they just keep saying, no, 25 milligrams. You'll see studies even titled saying, low-dose DHA administration does X. And you look at the study, and they use 25, 50 milligrams, and they're calling it a low dose. Well, if you find out what endocrinologists and pulmonologists, etc., are actually reading, it's pitiful. They simply don't know anything about their field. But you would think that they can at least do the, this just the mechanical work of calculating what would be a physiological dose of DHA. Can they, uh, can they drop to that level of stupidity? <laughs> Not even being able to calculate that? Uh, uh, yeah, it's a whole attitude of applying intelligence to physiology or anything in the world. Uh, they are trained in an authoritarian system of obedience, uh, and uh, it's very hard to uh, talk intelligence to someone with that uh, 10 or 20 years of training in that direction. Have you ever met a doctor who managed to get shaken out of this uh, zombified oh, yeah. dream somehow? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, friends who uh, did something uh, like an uh, uh, allergy specialist who was uh, making huge amounts, $400 an hour or something, uh, desensitizing people to allergen, to, yeah, to, to whatever they were allergic to by injecting uh, a little bit of, of the allergen. And uh, they, they kept coming back every week needing to be desensitized again. And uh, he, he found out that giving them some T3 and magnesium at the same time, uh, they retained 
the magnesium under the influence of T3 and never came back. In a week, he cured all his patients and went into another business. So what would trigger an allergy specialist to even consider T3 and magnesium? Were they somehow inspired by you? Or like, did yeah. they read something? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we were talking about it. Okay. Uh, oh, Georgie, go ahead. No, that's it. That's it. I don't, I don't I, have anything. Okay, I'll run through these super chats. You guys, I can't, I'd love to get through all these questions, but we would just be on here for hours. And so I'll, I'll obviously for these to Ray. Ray, you got my last forward from the AdSense from Google, right? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. That was everybody here. So you guys are making this happen. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, Matthew Riley, thank you for $9.99. Mateo uh, White, Whitechurst for uh, 20 pesos. Thank you. Uh, this one, I'm going to break my rule and, and read it because it seems particularly important. It's from Tone for $10. And he says, my cousin was shot and left paralyzed, waist down, but showing signs that he can fully recover. Any thoughts on wound-induced paralysis from a bioenergetic point of view? Studying T3, T4, progesterone, CO2, and aspirin at the moment. Uh, Ray, what do you think about that? Uh, nerve recovery of progesterone and pregnenolone uh, and vitamin D uh, and thyroid and carbon dioxide are uh, central things. So, so just the things he was studying um, uh, uh, already. So that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, jo uh, Jonas for a hundred uh, of, of some currency. I'm not sure. Thank you so much, Janet. Thank you so much for fifty dollars. Wow. Uh, Diana Orbello Glenn for twenty four ninety nine. Oh, Janet says thank you so much for doing these chats. Uh, Diana says thank you all for sharing your knowledge. Thank you, Diana. Uh, uh, Christina Tamaj for twenty four ninety nine. Thank you so much. Primitive Primitive Initiative for nine ninety nine. Thank you so much. He says thank you for taking the time to do these lives uh, lives. Lives, Danny, Georgie, and Ray. Harry Burgos for $25. No message. Thank you so much, Harry. Uh, Michelle, uh, I won't even try to pronounce your last name, for $20. Thank you so much, Michelle. And then uh, we have an extra second. I'm just going to read this last super chat, and then we'll we'll uh, farewell out of here. But Vicky says, um, I guess it wouldn't really be fair if I... Okay. Okay. I'm just going to end it there. Vicky, uh, forward me your question. I'll try to answer to the best of my ability um, for $4.99. Thank you so much, Vicky. Um, okay. Ray, any parting words on the general state of things? What, what are you working on right now, uh, your life in general? Uh, a newsletter uh, on the uh, epidemic or the pandemic and uh, concrete things that can be done and uh, some basic ideas uh, on how to uh, think about viruses and uh, reasons to avoid vaccines in particular. And you sent me a kind of a, a rough draft of that. What, when do you think that will uh, be ready? Uh, oh, a, a few days. Nice. Uh, that was the first page. I've changed already. And then, Georgie, any parting words? Um, I guess one last question, Ray, if you had to leave the, the empire, what, what, what for you would, would be the breaking point? What signs in, in the environment would you say would be a pretty decent indication that it's time to pack up and, you know, go somewhere else? Oh, oh when they, um, uh, interrupt my food and drugs, uh, if they turn off my, uh, uh, thyroid, cytomel and, Sinoplus and uh, uh, start uh, changing the food supply 
then it's necessary to leave. What about forced vaccinations? Will that be a, a, a good oh. sign? Oh, sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ray, how do you think that will be implemented? Do you, like, wh- how do, what, what is the, because so many people seem resistant to it. Do you think uh, working for these corporations, obviously, but what about the normal person? How do you think they'll incentivize a vaccine besides using fear? Well, the, the, even, even normal doctors are starting to refuse uh, vaccines for their kids. And, and so the, the, the normal uh, American is still absolutely subservient to uh, the stupid things their doctors do to them. Uh, that whole thing has to change. Uh, the, the vaccines uh, might be a catalyst for people uh, throwing off the whole uh, crazy authoritarian medical system. Great stuff, Ray. Uh, you know, infinite appreciation for you joining us. Uh, sincerely appreciate it. These are special episodes to me. And so thank you for uh, joining us and just sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you, Georgie, for being my uh, partner and, and helping me do this because I couldn't do this without you. Thank you, everybody listening and watching. Uh, Ray, I'll send you an email and we'll try to set up another one of these if you're available. And uh, just thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. Everybody have a great, safe uh, Friday evening and we'll see you guys some other time. (laughs) Okay. Take care, everyone. Okay. Bye. Thank you.